Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation and is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. We invite you to learn more by visiting healthcareexperience.org. He is the author of the new book, Healthcare Upside Down, a critical examination of policy and practice. And of course, I have with me Dr. Henry Buckwald joining me, and he is Professor Emeritus with University of Minnesota Medical School in the Twin Cities. Dr. Buckwald, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Before I jump into the book, tell us a little bit about your medical background. And as of course, we like to talk about the patient experience here. So any um, anything you want to tell us about your professional and storied background, we'd love to hear about. Well, I went to Columbia College. I grew up in New York, went to Columbia College, and from there to Columbia Medical School, College of Physicians and Surgeons. Took my internship at the Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, and then went into the Air Force. And I had two very interesting, productive years as uh, Chief Flight Surgeon Headquarters Strategic Air Command. And uh, that was quite an experience, quite a wonderful experience. And then I came to Minnesota for my residency, and I've never left. And so I've (laughs) gone through the ranks here, and uh, basically my work here at Minnesota has been in surgery. Uh, Also, I have a joint appointment in biomedical engineering, but I'm a clinical surgeon who has also done a lot of research and teaching. Um, and I, I think one of the uh, uh, proudest things I'm most proud of is is that we published in New England Journal of Medicine in 1990 the first study using a surgical intervention to lower cholesterol to show that lowering cholesterol actually saves lives, decrease heart attacks. And that was well before any of the statin drug studies. And so... Uh, Yes, my life has been very much as a clinical surgeon. I've done maybe 10,000 operations and very much in research and teaching. Well, that is quite the contribution to both the medical community and society as a whole. So uh, also, thank you for your service, Dr. Buckwald. We are very uh, honored to have you as a guest on today's show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. to talk about it. Absolutely. Now that we've gotten those formalities out of the way, let's talk about the book. Healthcare Upside Down, I have it in front of me, a critical examination of policy and practice. What do we need to know about this book? Why did you want to write it? What went into writing it? Let's hear all about it. (laughs) Are we going to be here all night? We We might be. We might be. You know, I've been in clinical practice for over 60 years. And during that time period, I've seen medical practice degenerate. It's what I would call being upside down. I can start off with some uh, statistics that will prove my point of view and, and then maybe sort of give an overview of how I try to explore this. So it's, it's just not opinion. This is fact. In terms of statistics, you know, there are eight standard statistics worldwide that people measure health care. Uh, 
One of them is life expectancy. Another one is infant mortality. We lack every European nation, Western European nation, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, in all these aspects. Why is this? Oh, at the same time, we have the highest cost. We spend 17% or more of our gross national product on health care. And the closest country is Switzerland at 11%. So everybody gets more for the buck than we do. We're being cheated. And who is everyone? All of us. We pay for every bit of health care. How? We pay through our taxes. And we talk a lot about socialized medicine, terrible thing. Well, there are bad things about socialized medicine. But what most Americans don't realize, 60% of our health care is socialized medicine. And that includes the armed forces, that socialized medicine, Medicare, medical assistance, Obamacare, etc. And besides that, we pay private insurance companies, and then we pay out of pocket. After paying all that, we go to a doctor, and they say, uh, uh, your copay before you're allowed to see anybody. So everyone pays for it. You pay for the medical schools, you pay for the offices, and yet we accept healthcare today in a way we would not accept buying a car or uh, going to a movie. We wouldn't go to a movie if they would say, uh, we'll tell you when you can come, and we'll tell you what you're going to see, and we'll tell you where you're going to sit. We say, well, I'm not going. But we do that with healthcare. And so where is this uh, most obvious? Uh, it's in the doctor-patient relationship. And out of the chapters in this book, which goes through the medical school, the clinic, et cetera, et cetera, and it uh, goes into COVID and uh, research and public health. But there's a chapter on the doctor-patient relationship, and that's been shattered. In my day, when I started, the patient would give us their trust. We, we regulated what they, what's going to happen in their health care, uh, how they're going to live. And a good relationship is they gave trust and we gave responsibility. And it's gone. Today you call and you get an assigned doctor. And that doctor may be there the next time you come in or not. Because the administration, the administrative people who run the hospital the clinics will fill in the next slot. They won't say, well, he has to see Dr. So-and-so because that's the person he saw last time. No, Dr. So-and-so is busy. So even though he's got an acute problem or any problem, can't see him for two months, but Dr. So-and-so is empty. That's the way we fill the slot. So it's medicine by business rather than medicine as a calling, as a doctor-patient relationship. And it's very interesting that in this transition, language has led the way. You know, Orwell in his book 1984 said language leads the way to a society. Well, what's happened? We no longer go as patients to a hospital. We go to a firm. And that word is, is very much in the vocabulary today. People don't see a doctor 
They see a provider. And every one of us is no longer a patient. We're called clients. And when you have that kind of a vocabulary, the rest will follow. And the main suffering people in this is the doctor-patient relationship. The administration today says, well, we make everybody happy because doctors have shorter hours, hospitals cover for them at night, they have less responsibility, they have more free time, they have scheduled vacations, and they're very, very happy. Well, some of them are. and and But uh, if you look at the statistics, if you look at the research that's done in society, we're having a trouble filling medical slots. People don't want to go into medicine. So how can this experiment be a success if there's less people who want to go in? Maybe today, the person in college and says, listen, I don't want to practice medicine that way. I'd rather be a businessman. I'd rather be an engineer. Uh, this is not what I visualized medicine to be. So when people say, oh, this is so good for everyone, it's not good. And it's wrong. And that's why I've called it upside down. Really, I love hearing about this because we we need to know what went into why this book was created. And obviously, our listeners will love to hear your fact-based research that went into this book. Um, and speaking of research, I wanted to read a passage from your book. This is on page 98. It says, healthcare without research is stagnation. Healthcare research is the pathway to healthcare progress. Today, research in particular and independent research is curtailed and no longer cost-effective. Uh, can I get you to react to that and why you, uh, why you wrote that? If a person goes to a doctor, uh, Let's say that person needs some operation. Well, the surgeon is brought in from a group at the last minute, may have a cursory uh, relationship with the patient, and really there's no continuity. I mean, I've, I've gone through this with members of my family. They've gone in for surgery. The doctor doesn't come out and see him before the operation because he's already doing the last case, and then he has to move on. Uh, it's delegated to people who get less of an income because everyone's on a salary, because the doctor is no longer an independent entity that can regulate his or her hours. The doctor is an employee, and so the doctor is told, you stay in the operating room and go from case to case. and so." The relationship does not serve a patient who wants to have a doctor to relate to. And the last chapter in the book that I have gives 10 different ways that one can try to turn healthcare right side up instead of upside down. Tell us about that. Where do we go from here, Dr. Buckwald? Where, what? I, I, please, we encourage people to read the book to, to learn more to a T. But if you want to keep it high level, where do we go from here? Well, it's, it gets back down to it's the individual. and But the individual has to get together with other individuals. I have seen doctors and groups of doctors 
oppose the administration in a hospital or in a hospital network, and they lose. You a stronger body that represents the profession. So, number one, the profession itself. We have powerful forces. There is the American Medical Association, American College of Surgeons, American College of Physicians. Uh, the nurses have a union. We have powerful forces. And when it comes to industry, where the people in industry in, in a big corporation with thousands and thousands of employees, uh, when they get their health insurance, they're looking for the lowest expense. So certain things may be omitted, such as obesity surgery or this kind of uh, therapy. And the unions have to say, no, 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 we don't want this. And we don't want uh, disposable doctors and uh, doctors who go in and out. Uh, we want a system that serves us. And so you have to talk through your organizations. That's number one. Number two, we have to have people in the public health service uh, advocate for public health. And I haven't seen that. Uh, the CDC came out and said, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear a mask if you want to wear a mask. We're out of masking. You guys decide yourself. I mean, that's not leadership. Uh, public health service is supposed to go for the public health. It's supposed to uh, help the public for public health. And we haven't had that. So we haven't had people in public health who represent not politics and not whoever uh, philosophy is in office. I mean, this pandemic was a disgrace. I mean, the COVID virus is a, is a piece of chemical. It's not a de Democrat. It's not a Republican. It's not a patriot. It's not a traitor. It's something that's going to kill all of us if we let it. And so it's a public health hazard. And the public health people have to do what they know is right and not what is politic. So moving on. Uh, I have several areas, but people have to come out. And even in a very competitive healthcare system, there should be people who uh, start fraternal organizations that says we're not for profit. Our CEOs don't have to take home 25 million every year. Uh, we can give healthcare at a better cost and go in and compete and take that business away and make the business serve the patient. And then there is you and so many of you in the media. You have to get out the message that, you know, we're not getting our money's worth. We're, we're not getting what we deserve. We're not getting what we pay for. The media has a tremendous role. And I outline what research can do uh, and, and where it all starts in the medical schools. Today, you know, I've spent my life in a medical school, but I've gone and talked to people all over the place in medical schools. It's not the same anymore. It's very much top down. Uh, it comes from the top, what you're going to do, uh, what drugs you can use, what surgery you can employ, uh, where you believe medicine goes. Uh, that relationship 
of the doctor-patient has been greatly shattered. And another great example of this, except for cancer, in every other category, all the group of European nations do better. Life expectancy, infant mortality, but then let's go to specific diseases, heart disease, strokes, uh, neuromuscular problems. In every aspect of disease that you can categorize, except for cancer, where we have a slight edge, uh, they do better. They pay less. They do better. Their people are happier. Uh, we should be able to do that. Have you got some time for me to read you a little quote out of the epilogue? Sure. All right. Because it sort of sums up things from my personal perspective. Yes. And we will end on this note. So I'll give you that final word. Thank you. All right. Let me read the last paragraph from my epilogue. Here. I have been a doctor for 60 years, and during those years, at times, I've also been a patient. I've held the hands of my patients. I have been the one whose hand has been held. I have received trust and given trust. The therapeutic decisions my patients and I reached were not subject to the interdiction of a third party. I do not want to have my life's role as a physician and surgeon, my joy in the process, usurped by an aristocracy. As a patient, I do not want to hold hands with a robot and confide my health problems to a faceless entity. As a doctor, a patient, a person, I reject the currently shattered doctor-patient relationship. Healthcare is upside down. Let us side it right side up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. To learn more, please visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.